Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. I am John Podhoritz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Matt Connetti is out today, but here, of course, is media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute senior fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Uh when we were just starting, I was I said I didn't really know what I'm what we should be talking about today, and I have nothing uh prepared. Uh but uh all right, let's try this. Uh we talked last week about uh Biden uh saying that he would not veto a bill that came to him uh overturning or controlling or taking charge of DC's crime policies to prevent dc from uh passing new uh essentially pro-criminal uh and pro-disorder regulations and uh word came yesterday that the dc city council is now going to withdraw or rescind or do something so that this does not actually have to go through congress and have them well, slap down. So they, 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 uh, Chairman Phil Mendelson, realizing the error of the council's ways, uh, far too late in the game, said he was going to withdraw it. But that's because more and more senators, including Democratic senators, were signaling publicly that they would, uh, stand with Biden and stand against this bill. And so they tried to withdraw it. But I think, I, I'm pretty sure there's no procedure for them to do that. I think it goes ahead. It's on the Senate yeah. schedule. It's they, they can't, the city council can't say, oh, we take take backseats, you know, that's really not how <laughs> right. legislation works. But uh, so, but in any case, so, so uh, Biden scores some kind of a point here in the uh democrats are not soft on crime or i'm not you're not gonna you're not gonna get me on being soft on crime but there is now this um explosion uh slow going slow moving explosion going on in atlanta that is going to be the next uh testing ground or proving ground on this matter because atlanta is building a police training facility and for a couple of years, the fact that they were going to build this police training facility has been um, a flashpoint in the defund cop hating world. And there was this astounding moment the other night when uh, a a planned, what would you call it? I mean, it's a, it's a terrorist a series of terrorist attack it's a domestic yeah, terrorist terrorist attack attack. using molotov cocktails fireworks uh, a small bomb or two and then actual efforts to blind police using um lasers um and uh, 20 or 30 people were arrested among them of course, and quite deliciously, this uh, lawyer at the Southern Poverty Law Center. And can we note uh, that most of the people arrested aren't from Atlanta or the or Georgia, the state of Georgia? These are people coming from outside the state to cause this trouble. I think there were one or two people who actually lived yeah. in Georgia who were arrested. So mm-hmm. not locals. Yeah. So uh, Thomas Webb Jurgens, 28 years old, was the lawyer for the, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Center, which, of course, has uh, spent the last 10 years... Um, surprised how hold hold on sorry guys 
don't know if you heard that. That's my, <laughs> it's my, my New York post, uh, my New York post window starting to pl- auto play an ad anyway. Uh, so this guy is, um, this guy's arrested. Uh, they're, they're charged with domestic terrorism. It's, I mean, it's a pretty serious thing. And if you saw the Atlanta police chief uh, being, he had a press conference at midnight in which he said, you know, they were trying to kill cops. And we, you know, this was a very, very, very serious event. And this has been going on for two years, ever since they announced they were going to build this facility. Well, they, they've been shooting at cops, and another one of the protesters was killed by by law enforcement. Yeah, that was uh, that was like four or five yeah, days ago. No, yeah, yeah, not long so, ago. Uh, as a as a practical matter, the um, the anti cop world of leftist agitation here uh, is not going away. I think that's that's the point. And so this idea that Biden could sort of have this tiny semi-sister soldier moment with the D.C. City Council and then go about his business, they're not going to let him go about his business so so easily and so readily. And you have this now weird thing where you have local police departments in the crosshairs of the left. You have, of course, the FBI in different ways in the crosshairs of the right so we have this delegitimization of police authority. I think in some cases, particularly in the case of the FBI, given everything that Eli Lake has written for us, you know, there's reasons to question the conduct of the FBI. But um, Biden is the president of the United States at a time when there is increasing social disorder, increasing crime, and his and people that are more or less aligned with him, his party, and his ideological flavoring are uh, not going to go gentle uh, and and let this and let him, you know, look like he's okay on this issue so that he can, you know, sail to re-election. There, there are a few additional stories that speak to this desperation of um, where cities are at with uh, with regard to to crime. Um, Walmart pulling out of uh, Portland altogether because uh, of the rampant shoplifting. It it doesn't pay to do business there anymore. New York, uh, Mayor Eric Adams has now, and the NYPD have called on stores to require that shoppers take off their masks when they come into the store. You can put them back on once you shop, but to enter, you have to sort of be seen without your mask. Um, because as Adams correctly put it, um, a lot of people coming into stores without, with masks are not afraid of the pandemic. They're afraid of the police. Um, these are all, um, this is like, like that's a, that's speaks to a desperation. Um, you know, uh, you know, to telling people not to wear their masks. Um, the Walmart story is just a case of, of, of a company just giving up. Um, so you're you're right that this is this is going to continue to 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 fester for the Democrats, regardless of of you know little gestures. 
Well, and it's those, it, they have also, I know in DC, more and more of the CVS stores are putting things behind locked contain, you know, locked glass because of the theft problem, you know, razors, uh, laundry soap. And there's this thriving criminal secondary market where the shoplifters who come in droves grab stuff and then they resell it immediately online or they resell it literally down the street at tables they set up. The idea that then what you do tend to hear from uh, progressive, uh, angry progressives is how dare they make people live under these conditions where they assume they will steal. I'm like, that's the wrong answer. And putting stuff behind glass is the wrong answer. You need to actually crack down on, on the petty crime. This is this is the broken windows example right here. You cannot complain about people being inconvenienced, having to wait around to get a razor blade at a CBS when you when you have no thought at all for the fact that people, you know, will carry an entire armload of those out the door. And it's the point here is that it's falling to stores because right. because no public servant is, is exactly. stepping up and taking care of it. And if you know, in many of these cases. If you're if you're if you run a, 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 a drugstore chain, um, it's worth it to just let them steal some stuff than to get involved in in you know trying to crack down, trying to turn your store into this like you know armed fortress until it's it, not worth it, and then then you have to close down. And then we can tie this to the other large issue that is been reframed. Uh, or is being quickly reframed as a crime issue if it ever wasn't a crime issue, which is uh, the uh, you know illegal immigration and border crisis. The New York Times reporting that the Biden administration is now reconsidering its uh, ill-considered policy of detaining migrant families at the border, which uh, the Trump administration had done and which they decided was inhumane so that they were, as long as if you came over as a family, uh, you could then just be sort of uh, let out into the United States with a supposedly an ankle bracelet or, you know, a cell phone that would track you or something like that. Obviously, in the numbers that they're talking about having released people, it's preposterous to presume that they were tracking anybody i mean how how are you going to track 200,000 people or whatever um and uh and so they 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 are trying to figure out what to do to limit this crisis or control matters or do something about it and of course that really does get to a a, a crime issue fentanyl the fentanyl trade coming up from mexico all of that, and then you blur in. Uh, then other stuff just gets blurred in. This kidnapping uh, border, right yesterday, uh, right across the border, of four Americans who were apparently mistaken for Haitian drug smugglers and taken by a cartel. Uh, people have been uh, routinely, apparently, relatively routinely kidnapped over the last couple of years. Um, uh, at the border or wherever you know um uh by by cartels um uh our friend eric erickson uh tells me that uh, in 2021 625 americans were kidnapped in mexico by cartels in 2020 831 were kidnapped um and so like this is a bigger problem. I mean, th- this is not a crime problem. This is not our crime problem. Okay, uh, but it is. 
if you're looking at a world in which you're saying what party is going to deal with this head on and what party is trying to ignore it or has a significant uh a significant presence of an ideological bent that says that we uh, are opposed to law enforcement or the enforcement of laws that we don't like or have some larger problem with the answer is very clear you want to really make life hard for 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 democrats um you you keep pushing you you know the crime rate keeps if the crime rate doesn't come down and if the thought leaders in the democratic party paid for by the open society institute and other institutions keep trying to get prosecutors elected who announce that they will not prosecute for misdemeanor offenses you're just handing the issue of the decade to the republicans at a time when if you're a democrat you could really and you see the the ideological condition of the republican party which we can get to in a minute you could really have them on the ropes you could really deliver a death blow in the next two years because of the fecklessness and idiocy and stupidity of the Republican party and a lot of its leadership. And clearly that's not going to happen because of their own fecklessness, stupidity in this case, actually sort of like a genuine support for something evil that is very disturbing. Yeah. If we could just for a moment go back to the Southern Poverty Law Center lawyer arrest, uh, because what was interesting about that, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center loves to boast about how it fights political violence. Um, It's an extremely ideologically blinkered organization, but they put out a tweet after the arrest saying the SPLC will continue to urge de-escalation of violence and police use of force against black, brown and indigenous communities working in partnership to dismantle white supremacy, strengthen intersectional movements, advance human rights, blah, blah, blah. Stop Cop City. They use the hashtag, the same one that all these radicals are using who are attacking cops. It's it, it's very important that people understand that all but one of the people arrested and charged with domestic terrorism in that attack were white. So if they're like really fighting white supremacy, I guess they should be praising the arrest of all these white political terrorists. But obviously they are on the wrong side of this, uh, in my opinion. Um, but the interest group pressure, John, you're right to mention Open Society and the Progressive Prosecutor Movement. Uh, I would add teachers unions, I would add any large special interest group that has taken for granted the idea that the Democrats will do what they want, have ramped up their rhetoric, they've ramped up their efforts. Democratic politicians are going to be getting a lot of pressure from those groups if if folks like Biden and others try to start inching towards the center uh, as we as we head into 2024. I'm not even sure that they can put effective pressure on the on on Biden, particularly as I think the signs are very clear that he is going to try to tack to the center, at least on some of these issues, if not others. It's just that they're going to continue to advocate what they advocate for, and they're going to do it not necessarily at the presidential level or not necessarily at the Senate or or congressional level, where um, the role of the Congress is actually relatively limited in these matters, but at the local level. And and because of the nationalization of our politics, because anything that happens in Paducah, Kentucky, or in, you know, uh, uh, Sonoma, California, or in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, can immediately become a national story. Um, one bad, you know, one bad local official or one bad race in which a progressive prosecutor says we should be letting X, Y, or Z out of jail and uh, the entire Democratic Party can get tagged with that. 
Also, you, you know, a couple more incidents similar to or somewhat, you know, as um, as uh, uh, as newsworthy as what happened in Atlanta. Um, that's sort of uh, what aboutism fodder on the January 6th front, right? It's like, oh, you know, the Republicans are crazy, lawless, they're attacking institutions, they're they're extremists, they're ferocious. And it's like, well, yeah, well, look at this, you know, see, look what's going on here. And this and that had that's, you know, that's had started in 2020 with with the anti-fund and BLM riots and anti-cop uh, attacks. And if that picks back up again, um the Democrats will have a hard time sort of explaining how they are the they are the, the side of, you know, uh, sober civic engagement. I mean, for many people, again, at the state and local level, this isn't just one issue in a in a in a sort of a, a nest of issues. This is their issue. Uh, the progressive prosecutor movement exists to propose that we are over jailing, we are overcharging, we are over enforcing the law and we need to do less of it. And that's why they don't want to prosecute for misdemeanor, supposed economic offenses, you know, whose cost is under a thousand dollars, why they don't like uh, quality of life offenses and they don't want to prosecute those, why they don't believe, why they, they think broken windows theory is evil. This is not just one part of their agenda it is their agenda it is the totality of their agenda and a lot of them have larger and more utopian agendas a lot of them relating to say climate change or stuff like that but it's very difficult to affect those except symbolically at the local level or the local and state level but this stuff you can affect at the local and state level and the decarceration movement, the idea that there should, you know, abolish the abolish prison types, which we have members of Congress who are part of Cory Bush and others who who would who would argue for that. Uh, it, what's interesting is that I I've I've been seeing more on local crime coverage, uh, particularly here in D.C., which has gotten a lot more attention recently because of this bill. But people on the left pointing out little facts that are quite inconvenient for the decarceration folks, such as by the time someone's arrested for homicide. They've probably been arrested on average 10 or 11 times before for things like assault, theft, armed robbery. And in a lot of these cities, they're, you know, they're no papered or they're pled down and they're released pretty quickly. The catch and release stuff is absolutely real in a lot of our cities, thanks to these progressive prosecutors. As a result, by the time someone's murdered, when the media pays attention and looks at that person's rap sheet, it's, oh my goodness, how could we let it come to this? Well, that is the whole plan. The plan is to actually, except for murder, which is impossible as a statistical matter to hide, all those other crimes are often, you know, the statistics are manipulated. They they plead down. So like someone who rapes someone at gunpoint will often get off on, on like a minor gun charge in this city. Like that's horrifying. And this new bill got a lot of people, including on the left, angry because it spelled that out explicitly, said this is what we're doing. And there was a lot of lobbying from decarceration types um, here in D.C. to achieve that. And John, you're absolutely right. That's happening in cities and even smaller municipalities all over this country. And local folks need to stay aware, like follow what your city council is doing. Look at their resolutions. Go to the hearings on crime in your communities. It's very important that people show up and ask these questions. That didn't happen well enough here in D.C. And we're reaping the the whirlwind. Right. Well, I mean, that is happening. And we know that there is a renewed attention on 
these you know issues where nobody would ever show up to a to a city council meeting or to a school board meeting or something like that and suddenly people show up and the authorities are horrified shocked and angered by the fact that the public is taking notice of their their behavior it's why these meetings exist they're supposed to be public and they're supposed to give the people who elect them a voice and and we don't have local media to cover it look local newspapers are dying or dead in many of these communities there is no objective media no reporter going and sitting that used to be what reporters how you earned your stripes as a reporter you go to those community city council meetings You, you cover what's going on, you f- yeah. track down these local politicians. So the the opportunity for interest groups to fill that void and and kind of without any sort yeah. of public accountability do that is is much higher now than you right. And you also have you also have this um e- example of of civic action and how people uh get involved in 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 governing issues. So in the uh since the 1990 in the 1990s and the the 2000s um uh people on the right started um getting their hands dirty in local politics in states that were moving from say purple to solid red over time um and you had this gradual takeover of the levers of power in a lot of these states texas being maybe the example that i'm thinking of most where say harris county which is where houston is um you know was shocked that in 2000 in the early 2000s the late 90s and the early 2000s um very cons- ideologically conservative people started moving into the to take over the local republican party and then to run for certain offices at the you know at the at the local level and this had always been a kind of country club republican world that was just overwhelmed by the fact that there were people who were suddenly interested and had a lot more passion and drive and purpose than they had ever had and wanted to take over. And that was true in a lot of places over the, over those, you know, two decades and uh, uh, culminating in the tea party. And then there was blowback and then there was blowback on the, on the left, the left, the left had gotten, that it essentially incepted this idea of going, moving to places and then like Vermont, for example, a famously Rockford Republican place. And then like just getting themselves involved in local politics uh, when they moved there because they were draft dodging or doing whatever the hell it was that they were doing. Um, the left got fat and happy and thought that, you know, they were in charge of all these things. And, and, uh, and, and they realized that they were on the verge of being, taken over as the grassroots force and they reorganized they spent a lot of money what's going what's going on in wisconsin over the last 10 years is sort of a is is the sort of ground zero of this because you actually have two very very serious grassroots parties democratic and republican party going tooth and nail uh you know in fights over things that no one ever paid the slightest attention to before but um, Democrats reorganized themselves at the at the at the local level and started doing things like these progressive prosecutor efforts, um, largely taking out Democratic old line Democrats in favor of more radical Democrats. Not you know a kind of ideological fight that moved from the right to the left, but moving the um, demo- local Democratic 
affiliation uh, or the representatives of the local Democratic Party from from moderate centrist Democrats that often Republicans living in these cities were happy to vote for, myself included, to the crazy fringe. I mean, and they are the crazy fringe, a lot of these folks. Yeah. Look, uh, you know, the, the story of the 20th century is not that the Democratic Party was radicalized by its urban by by how how strongly it performed in urban areas urban democrats until the last 25 years were a moderating political force inside the democratic party this story i've talked about a lot but you know one of the reasons the democratic party did not go full bore totally you know abortion on demand was that you know in chicago and in boston and in new york and other places Catholic Church was extremely important politically, and Congress Detroit and congressmen who served in inner cities in these places had to reckon with the Catholic Church's positions on things. And so you had the pro-life Democrat, Dan Rostenkowski of Chicago, David Obie in Detroit, uh, you know, uh, Teddy Kennedy, uh, who people forget was pro-life, you know, people like that. And um, they were a moderating, they were a moderating force. And then as generationally and ideologically, a lot of those restraints and guardrails were broken down. And as the populations in the cities got younger, while the older people moved to retire, this all changed. And it's not clear that there's any moderating force inside the Democratic Party outside what we're told is the views of older African-American voters. Well, in the in the insanity of the Republican Party, which we also uh, should talk about, means that you what you are seeing is a growth in registered independence. Um, and I'll and I'll I'll look at I know a lot of kids in the younger generation who are just at the age where they're starting to register to vote. Uh, my nieces, my nieces and, you know, some slightly older kids almost to a T, they will register independent. The ones that I've met Um that doesn't mean they all are, but if you look at the number of registered independents, um, those that's growing and that's growing. That shows a, a real dissatisfaction, also real political opportunity for for someone on either the left, either the D or the R side to to stop the crazy. And I know we talk about this in terms of you know what the Republican uh, presidential primary is going to look like. There is an opportunity there to speak to that vast middle, and that middle is growing. And they're not. There's more to agree on than disagree on. And I might sound this might sound naive, but the politics that dominates our our certainly our political media and a lot of our pundit class is not the politics that most Americans want. They don't want that. But the 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 figures who would could respond to what most people want, they're not incentivized incentivized by that. Yes, they're incentivized right. by becoming uh, national figures, by becoming loudmouths. There's none of the you know when when you talk, John, about uh, p- parties sort of methodically incrementally moving in, taking some space, consolidating their wins, moving on, pushing forward. I I see there's sort of no sense of restraint or discipline on either side to to make gains in that way. It's it's all about, you know, bullhorns and and social media and and, you know, letting the world know that that change is, is here. I mean, in a larger philosophical sense, some of this has to do with the fact that um, while Biden is an old-fashioned Democrat in the sense that he believes that he can use legislative remedies 
in Washington to improve the lives of people by spending a lot of government dollars that are going to change everything, you know, the, the Chips Act and the infrastructure bill and build back better and all. That's just classic old line Democratic progressive thinking that if we do this, we do this collective action as a result of legislation. That's what we're here for. That's what we're supposed to do. And the end result is going to be making everybody everything better. I don't think that progressives, oddly, despite the fact that they're called progressives, believe that anymore. They do not believe in they do not believe in in progressive change, even though they're called progressives. They think the country is irredeemably and originally uh, racist and evil. They think that we are on track to destroying the earth with our behavior on climate. And all we can do is mi- we are unequal, we're unjust with this, and all we can do is mitigate some of the damage. And so they don't have a positive feeling about what they're doing. Like, how celebratory was the Democratic Party uh, or its officials, or even it's like with the successes of Biden's legislative agenda. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of spin and a lot of talk on MSNBC and all of that. You get the sense that they thought that they like turned a corner that suddenly America was going to be so much better because of the Chips Act. They don't feel that way, and certainly Republicans have become totally nihilistic about the you know about the positive role that governance can play in 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 making things better even if governance is just clearing the brush and deregulating or cutting taxes or whatever they don't nobody believe or you know the vanguards of these parties no longer believe in the positive value of political action and so what incentive do they have to spend their time in backdoor negotiating sessions. Yeah, they only they only really started talking up, you know, Biden's legislative agenda when it became clear that there was no uh, midterm wave. That but then that, that was just purely then they talked about it in terms of political triumphalism, you know, but it wasn't it wasn't about getting things done. Yeah. It was it was haha, see yeah. look how great we we are. But they just they don't feel it. Right. They don't feel it anymore. And so uh people don't go into politics it seems or international politics with that as their frame and so the performative stuff is as how you is is how you how you how your ambitions express themselves because they are all ambitious that's why they do this so it was, if you were a senator or congressman, a lot of people, what, what what it meant to them was that they would end their careers and they would have they would have had their name, if you were a senator, on 75 pieces of legislation that had passed in the 28, you know, in the 30 years that they had served in the Senate or something like that. John McCain or Teddy Kennedy, or what, those being the sort of the most relevant examples. What they wanted was to have their their name on legislation to shepherd it through and to be that person. Is there anybody like that now? I mean, I'm not saying this nostalgically. I'm just saying it analytically. I don't think that anybody comes in, you know, you can't name a, you can't name a single 
member, you know, newly elected person over the last six years who, and that's their, that's their goal. Their aim is to, you know, is to sort of like have a, a series of legislative achievements or something like that. So, However, no, those, pe- those people yeah. are leaving because they're getting beaten up yeah, on by right. by the people who right. want you know what, what yeah. want the, the 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 celebrity aspect of the, yeah. the performative aspect of right it. well i mean you know in the end by the way just it, it, to close the circle on the local crime and stuff argument like we're already seeing how crime we've seen in three election cycles now or two, maybe. I mean, maybe 2018 doesn't really count, but 2020 and 2022, we've seen how the crime issue has played in shifting districts that were purple to red uh, in South Florida, the border in Texas, various other places. Uh, and this astonishing fact that though Kathy Hochul won the governorship of New York, uh, not only did five upstate districts go uh, from democrat to republican in the house but in the city in wards and precincts all over new york city the vote shifted wholesale to the right because she won the city and she won the city comfortably but she didn't win it by 60 points or something like that and then if then there was the fascinating little detail that tracks with the hispanic vote moving to the right or the you know latino vote moving to the right in florida and texas of the Asian vote in New York city and, you know, which is actually quite substantial, particularly in Queens and Brooklyn. And there you had precincts going wholesale Republican. And you know why? Cause of schooling, I mean, it's a crime and schooling uh, because these are all small. These are all people who work in small businesses. So they're, they're a wash in crime. If you run a, a laundry or a dry cleaner or, a, or, a, or a little shop or something like that, you're, you're, you're now very much at risk of, of crime and then of course we have the the fact that the democrats and liberals are now associated actively associated with efforts to stymie the ability of of asian americans to go to the high schools schools grammar schools high schools and colleges of their of their choice and so there are green shoots for republicans all over the place if they're willing to you know do the work and like this is a long-term process like run don't get elected run a second time maybe then you get elected you know that that kind of thing but you know it's i feel like because since trump's uh cpac uh uh speech we've been been hearing all about these complaints about what he what he and others call paul ryanism you know and they denounce it that's sort of what we're talking about Actually, you know, getting things done through proposed legislation, not not making a a, a big uh, 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 fireworks show of it, um, but um, implementing things that work, and that and that itself is sort of denounced um, by, by by the 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 new stars of the party. Uh, okay, let's move on to the Republicans and the lunacy of the Republicans and their and their and their support uh, groups because we have uh, yesterday uh, Tucker Carlson uh, releasing the first uh, or you know who was was given exclusive rights to all of the video camera footage around January sixth, twenty twenty one, at the by Kevin McCarthy. Um, 
releasing the footage and announcing that what the footage shows is that the people who who uh, stormed the Capitol went into the building were tourists, not terrorists, and they were just there to look around and uh, and that uh, and that in particular, uh, Q Shaman, uh, this guy whose name I now can't remember, and if I open up the New York Post to look for his name, uh, an ad is going to autoplay, so I'm not going to do that. Um, that uh, he was escorted through the building and led into the led into the Senate chamber, and uh, therefore, uh, you know, thought that you know he was an honored and privileged guest and could go anywhere that he wanted to, and and. Uh, Oddly enough, uh, he, you know, he was on trial. He's now in prison. Uh, I guess he had the opportunity to make this argument in his defense, which apparently he did not make. So it's interesting that it's now being made for him a year later, um, uh, if if that were the case. Uh, I looked at, you know, what I saw and what I saw was, um, uh, you know, a schizophrenic uh, wandering the halls and the decision was made not to engage him uh, by law enforcement, but rather to just sort of like let him wander wherever he was going to wander. And then eventually, you know, to, to pass to deescalate. As yes, they call it was it. classic deescalation. Yeah. He had no weapon. He didn't have a weapon. They clearly, they would not have allowed him to wander around like that if he, and they were following him. I mean, there were, there's, uh, what gets me angry about the, the, taking those snippets, the same way it got me angry when they, they were, the January 6th committee sometimes used dramatic moments to kind of, you know, extrapolate uh, far beyond what that dramatic moment might have shown. Um, Tucker Carlson's going to do the same thing with the footage he has. The Democrats really can't complain if they, you know, if, if, if this is something the public needs to see, they should have, they should just release the footage. Um, these the techniques that law enforcement uses in moments of emergency are things they're trained to do and they're they're often misunderstood by the public and often if you just take a snippet of what they're doing in a kind of planned de-escalation or the way they talk people out of buildings when they barricaded themselves in they know what they're doing and even in moments of crisis like this those the, the police were probably far wiser to get this guy herded into a safer place where they could contain him since they saw that he was unarmed than it would have been to tackle him to the ground, which I guess is what maybe people wanted to see them do. That's not how law enforcement works. It's not how law enforcement's supposed to work. So law, these cops doing their jobs is not evidence of some vast conspiracy. And this guy was clearly not a normal tourist. So I, I've lived in D.C. a long time. We have some crazy tourists. This guy was not a tourist. And the, the claim, you know, that that Tucker and others are making uh, here is it's just so I think it's very weak because uh, no matter what that clip or future clips reveal, do, do they erase the, the the many, many, many other clips of footage that we've seen that things that Not happened at all. That, that day? Yeah. Did did does this mean that that uh, that mobs didn't break windows to get in, that they didn't beat guards with placards? Um, we, we, we've seen all of that. So yeah, this also happened. There was this. There was this uh, uh, attempt to, to to de-escalate in regards to this one guy at this one moment. But this this doesn't this doesn't vitiate everything else that happened that we know about that day. I mean, vitiate. I mean, what we have here is an extraordinary. What are you going to believe me? You know, what are you going to believe your own eyes or me, the liar? I mean, we were there. I mean, we weren't physically there. We were watching in real time as this. Breach I had of friends the who were there. Yeah. Okay, this- <laughs> but I wasn't there. But we, I, I mean, 
just to make this clear, Abe and I and Noah at the time, I think, uh, or I can't remember who was in the office. We were all in the office, oddly enough, even though we were, this was a weird moment because it was, uh, you know, it was still in the pandemic and we weren't really going to the office much, but we were in the office while this was happening. While the while the the TV was on and they were showing what was going on on January sixth, and I remember Abe and I, we sat there and said, "This is the worst thing I've ever. This is the worst thing that's ever happened in this country." As I, we were watching it, you know, you want to take that away from me? Fine. You want to you want to come up with a counter narrative to satisfy, you know, the two or three million people who you know suck at your teat. Fine. You, I saw what I saw, and then I saw documentary footage of what went on on the other side of the door when they were smashing through the door. I saw that cop screaming in pain as they were as they were climbing over his body. Now, all of that happened. Hundreds of people have been convicted of crimes and are in jail. The narrative that, that they're attempting to establish is that every single one of those arrests and those convictions and those, I guess, guilty pleas, whatever, um, is an act of injustice and that this is some form of Dreyfus, you know, punishment that is going on here. And that is disgusting. Every one of those people who pled guilty knowingly did so. And they did so because did they trespass on Capitol grounds? Yes, they're all adults. They all confessed to a crime and they were sentenced for their crime. Tucker Carlson is not a person who can sprinkle magic fairy dust over their heads and absolve them of the crime to which they confessed and in which every single person there was made using video footage and facial recognition software and was arrested after the fact uh, over the course of several months. It's line, they didn't have weapons. We saw them. They had weapons. We know they had bear spray. But not only not only did we see them, right? Um, this is one of those events that even the people on the right who now defend the January 6th uh, 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 rioters, insurrectionists, they immediately at the time said, this is bad. This is terrible. It was only because it was it was it was automatically apparent what was happening. There was there was no ambiguity here. The yeah. ambiguity got built later. It it you know it was pieced together and constructed and that would and it turned into pretzels to create this 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 sort of counter narrative where people started walking back their disapproval of it. But yeah, there it was, was it was clear to everyone. The simple explanation about the day of was clear on the day of. And all of us, I mean, are, we were we were all chatting about it. I mean, it was very I mean, my, I got a text from a friend in federal law enforcement who was down there and he's like, yeah, these guys have lost it. Like this is someone who's covered. He covered the Black Lives Matter riots. He's, he's covered lots of political activity in Washington, D.C. And even he was like, this is not this is not normal. And we knew this and we knew because, you know, we, we heard the statements Trump was making about his own vice president. It was very clear what the context here was. So I I don't even understand. I mean, it, it, it's not clear to me what Tucker Carlson thinks he's doing beyond you know getting. Oh, his I can ratings boosted, I can totally but. explain to you what he's doing. I know I know exactly what he is doing. 
there is an idea abroad that there is a significant rump in the you know in the conservative world that believes that uh January 6th was a provocation created by the FBI using informants and plants there's some guy named Ennis whose name seems to keep coming up who was an oath keeper whom they turned and was like ratting on people inside. And that this was a staged event uh, to create this uh, narrative about how the right was trying to overtake America. And these unfortunate naive people got themselves crosswise of it. And they are now in an American gulag. They are political prisoners in an American gulag because this is the narrative that the left wanted to establish. Does Tucker believe this? I doubt it. I know him. He's a very smart guy. He is also obviously a nihilist and, and somebody who, you know, like wants to get people fired because he's worried about the stock price of Fox wants to get, you know, people who make $50,000 a year while he makes $15 million a year fired because he's worried about his stock price. And they, they see gold in this. They see gold in being part of this extremist. Yeah, he's not uh, a propagandist. Vision. He's just an absolute instrumental nihilist who wants to profit off of other. That's people. how. That's how I look at this. But so here's what we have: we have the the January sixth narrative of Democrats and the left, which is that it was the worst event in American history. That this was this was they tried to do the Reichstag fire. They were prevented from creating the Reichstag fire. Although, of course, Tucker's argument or this argument I'm talking about is the Reichstag fire argument, right? It is Democrats set January 6th on fire in order to consolidate their power the way the Nazis set the Reichstag on fire in order to consolidate their power. Now, here's to me, what's interesting is that it it goes in this weird direction, which is that they 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 have now decided to create this martyrology where these poor unfortunate people are victims of this uh, hysterical overreading. The purpose of which is to empower Democrats and the left. Fine, um, but they don't care about any of those people. And you know, this is all about Trump. This is all about legitimizing and re-legitimizing Trump's effort to run for president and be president again, and legitimizing. Marjorie Taylor Green, Mar- everybody who is who has been proffering this narrative on the on the on the far right, Green and Gates and people like that. And Trump, of course, said this in the speech at CPAC. He's talked about these people as though they were martyrs. And whom did he thank at the beginning of his speech most most heatedly? Marjorie Taylor Green and Matt Gates. So this is the counter narrative of and Fox apparently continuing to. Fear, I guess, that it will be outflanked on the right by conspiracy theorists who are even more deranged than they are, is is now going to just go full bore with this and pluck out little bits and pieces of things. Have they established that Brian Sicknick was not murdered uh, on that day? Yes. But was that established when he died the day after? Yes. So congratulations on that have they established that that um Josh Hawley did not run away as was shown in footage by this by the January 6th committee i guess they've established that 
that was a sort of cheap shot by the January 6th committee to show the footage of him running down a hallway and shouldn't have been done in the first place, but whatever. Uh, have they had, does any of this indicate that what happened didn't happen and that what we saw with our own eyes didn't happen? No. Are there three to five to 10 million people who will now believe that September, that January 6th, I don't know why I keep because of September 11th, I guess, that January 6th didn't happen? I guess so. I mean, people will believe, apparently, there are a lot of sheep and they'll believe whatever they're told by their shepherd. So, well, I, but those people already, I agree with you, but I think they were already on board with the with the fantasy. I, I, don't, I, the, I don't, this is not going to change minds. I don't think. Okay. In the long run, this is the worst possible thing for the Republican Party in 2024. You want to make sure that no, no independent votes for the Republicans in 2024? Keep saying that January 6th didn't happen and scare people like Ron DeSantis into essentially going silent and acting as though this, you know, acting as though this is a matter under dispute or something like that. Just or, hand well, or- the keys to the White House to Biden or whoever follows him if but this that, really becomes gospel in the in the Republican Party. Well, it does, what what Tucker is doing is is actually it is it's bad for the Republicans who've said, you know, this was terrible. This shouldn't have happened. Trump was, you know, Trump should not have incited this mob. And, you know, it, it, it was rioters gone a little too far. Like even the ones who try to avoid using the I word insurrection are now actually going to have their hands forced by this. They're going to be asked and they should be asked. What do you think of Tucker Carlson's claim that X, Y and Z? And they should have to respond. And Ron DeSantis, if he wants to lead the party, needs to respond. This stuff needs to be quashed. Um, will it? I don't know. But it is a very it, it's a very pernicious thing to have this as a sort of theme throughout. Now, now Trump can actually take this too far in the the rumors today that he's thinking of, you know, asking Carrie Lake to be his running mate. That actually would be perfect. Two crazed election denier egotists, you know, jockeying for attention on the campaign trail. Perfect. Let them show themselves for what they are. But there, how many voters are going to want to pick that level of crazy is, is, I hope, smaller than we think. But the January 6th stuff, you cannot downplay it if you're a Republican. You have to address it. You have to address it head on. You do not have to agree with the kind of over-the-top histrionic, you know, let's have a candlelight vigil every year to recall it, democratic approach to it. But you do have to say, these are the principles we stand for. We have peaceful elections. And when you lose, you peacefully leave and the next person comes into power. We do not tolerate this sort of behavior. But they won't you know, but that. but even but you know even that if, if DeSantis said something like that, you pay some price. Uh, yeah, absolutely for, for, for yeah. saying that. You would. Right. No, yeah. that's right. Well, and and oh, and yeah. and that, that that look that's the world we live in. This is the circumstance. But uh, Christine is. I mean, look, there is a there is a path here. The path is no one smashes a door. No one takes a rock and smashes the the door frame. Of of the Capitol building the of the United here. States. Yeah. You know what? That's broken windows. I don't like it when it happens at a CVS. I don't like it when it happens on the streets of Portland. I don't like it when it happens at the Capitol. If these are misdemeanor offenses, they should be prosecuted. If they're misdemeanor offenses in your city, they should be prosecuted. Uh, it. I thought it was the Democrats who were soft on crime here. I mean, I'm just saying there's a way of doing this and analogizing it to, you know, and, and saying that the Democratic Party uh, 
played footsie with people who were burning our cities down in the summer of 2020. That was egregious. And uh, I'm not then going to turn around and say that it was okay for people to invade the Capitol on the day of the, you know, uh, electoral uh, count acceptance uh, just because, you know, it's politically convenient for me to do so or something like that. I don't know. But what's happened here is a gauntlet has been thrown down. The Republican Party or, you know, whatever, the right is being dared now, is being told that it is now supposed to believe something it knows not to be true and that there and that we knew to be true it's one thing to do this when there's no footage and when we weren't when we didn't live through it you know it's another thing to learn that you know the tonkin gulf resolution was was voted on in error there was no footage <laughs> Of, of the attack on American ships in the Gulf of Tonkin. Like there, there was no, there, you know, there are things that happen that you don't see, you know, we saw this, it was happening in real time. We know Trump didn't say anything for 158 minutes. All of that is inarguable, you know? And so in the end, they're using these people who are now in jail as a, as a, as a tool and a pawn to resurrect, to, to create a martyrology and a, and a counter narrative about who's really at fault for the crisis in our democracy. And I am perfectly happy to have a conversation about how the crisis in our democracy needs to be laid at the feet of Democrats as well as Republicans going right back to, to 2000 and the fact that Gore didn't want a statewide recount, but only wanted a recount where he was sure he thought he could prevail and 2004, when people didn't accept that George W. Bush had won the election in Ohio, and on to, on to Stacey Abrams, and Biden the other day saying that we're still in a voting rights crisis at Selma, all of that stuff. Like, I'm sorry, the Republicans oh, he's do not- He's back on the filibuster and the filibuster stuff, too. He mentioned the filibuster again. Yeah. So, and, and don't forget uh, Trump-Russia. Yeah. The collusion, yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's right. Russia caused, yes, Russia got Trump elected and all that. So, you know, here we are. And so I'm happy to have that argument, but these people are poisoning it and ruining it and destroying it and making it so that, yeah, the, Demo the Democratic Party is going to be able to tell independent voters that at the very least, we don't support people who stormed the Capitol on the day of the electoral count is happening. All right. We'll, we'll take, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow with Matt uh, for Abe and Christine and the absent Matt Connetti, John Podhortz, keep the candle burning.